All right, well, good evening. We are so glad that you guys are here. And for the people that are at home watching online, wherever that is, we are so glad that you're tuning in tonight. Uh, If you're not in Northern Colorado and you're online, thank you for praying for moisture. Keep it up. But we have about seven or eight inches of snow on the ground outside. And so that is a good thing. And hopefully that'll help our uh, firefighters uh, get a grasp of the fire that's going on up in the mountains. But uh, anyway, hey, a couple things that I just want you guys to be aware of before we dig into Scripture tonight. Uh, First of this, uh, I had a chance on Tuesday night to make it over here to the church for Revive Students, and it was awesome. It was so much fun. Uh, I thought I was going to get injured, uh, but I did not. Uh, But if you have teenagers, uh, we would love for them to be a part of Revive Students. That happens on Tuesday evenings at 6.30 right here at Revive, and so send them. Even if they don't want to come, just send them, make them, force them, whatever. Uh, But uh, it is a great, great time, and I want to thank uh, Isaiah and Stacy for uh, heading that up. They're doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Um, Also, uh, Revive is just really encouraging uh, block parties or house parties uh, this Halloween. Uh, So last year, what we did is we, uh, I don't know if we can have fire pits or not. I don't know if this will do it. I'm going to say no, but... Uh, We put a fire pit in the driveway, we had a s'more bar, we had hot chocolate, just a lot of things. We invited our neighbors to join us, and it was just a neat opportunity for us to love our neighbors uh, on Halloween evening. And so uh, if you don't have anything planned, you can either join ours or you can set up your own, but uh, let's just make sure we're loving our neighbors, especially this time of year. Um, Also, men or little men. I guess it's like 14, 15, 16-year-olds and up. Uh, We're going to have a flag football game on Saturday, November 14th at 9 o'clock, and it's going to be at Mahaffey Park. And so uh, for our guys that love to play football or for those that don't, you know, come on in anyway. Um, So I think Ruben has challenged. Do you throw down the challenge of flag football? No, I don't know. Anyway, uh, so... Uh, please, please, if you have any questions, uh, you can ask Alex Hutchison and uh, just ask him. He has all the details on that, but I think I just gave you all the details. It's Saturday, November 14th at 9 o'clock at Mahaffey Park. Uh, Last thing that I want you to be aware of is this. Uh, We need volunteers for kids' ministry. Um, This is what you get to participate in right here, and so she's basically like, we need better teachers. um, I'm just kidding. (laughs) need to be careful. We need to keep the ones we have. So anyway, uh, Emily Johnston is uh, excited for anybody and everybody to volunteer in our Revive Kids nursery, pre-K. And so basically the idea is this. We would love for everybody to be able to serve in this capacity. And if everybody does a little, nobody has to do a lot. Um, but right now we have a few people doing a lot. And so we just want to help them out. And so uh, Reuben and I, maybe we'll start serving in Revive Kids. That would be really cool. All right. Uh, So please contact Emily Johnston if you have any questions about that. Hey, let's pray, and we're going to dig into Scripture together. Father God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the moisture. A lot of times we go to you and we ask, but when you deliver, uh, we fail to give you thanks. And I just want to thank you so much right now for the snow that you're bringing to our state. Um. Our state has been so devastated by these fires, and so many people are in a lot of pain right now because they've lost a lot. And so, but we're grateful for the moisture that you've brought. 
And so we just pray that it keeps coming. Be with our time tonight, wherever we are, that we will be able to learn from you, that we'll be able to apply these things to our life and follow you more than what we have prior in the way that we live our lives. And so we're going to give this time to you. This we ask in your name. Amen. Well, if you guys have been in church for any amount of time, uh, you know that everyone in the church gets along. There's always this harmony inside the church, inside the walls of the church. There's this, this beauty that takes place. Everybody gets along. Everybody's friendly. Everybody is kind. There are never any kind of issues uh, with internal strife inside the walls of the church. Can I get an amen? All right. Well, obviously, <laughs> obviously, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that everything that I just said is a complete hoax. It is not true at all. It's far from the truth. Uh, church is family. Uh, one of the things I love about Revive is it feels like a very awesome dysfunctional family. And so we love family. You have these moments, though, where you're reminded of the drunk uncle at Thanksgiving that gets into a fight with everybody. Church is like that sometimes. It is messy, and you may have that grandson or the granddaughter that throws a fit and shows disrespect, and it happens inside family. You guys, think about your families. Think about some of the things that have taken place inside the family. It is crazy and sometimes whacked, and the church is exactly the same, which is why it should like raise the level of our acknowledgement when Christ died for the church. Realize what he was dying for. Um, that's us. And so there's always that awkward atmosphere in the house. Think about that. When that does happen, when that crazy does happen in your house, and there's always that awkward moment where you're like, I can't believe that just happened. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that. And it does sometimes bring on altercations. Uh, I will never forget uh, my fifth grade year of elementary school. After my fifth grade year, I went to summer camp at a church camp. And I'll never forget, there was an older camp counselor that got into an argument with a younger camp counselor and they actually went into a fist fight. I'll never forget that for the life of me. Got all these fourth and fifth grade kids, and we're like watching this display of two immature men in Christ who, um, yeah, they just they got into a, a disagreement. It happens. Over the many years in church, here are just a few that I have witnessed, okay? These are disagreements, things that people have been upset about. In church, conflict. There's been conflict over eldership. Uh, conflict over staff hiring. Uh, the music is too loud. Uh, I heard somebody that got really upset because they thought the music was too soft. It was not loud enough. I've seen people get upset because of the instruments that have been played. Uh, I had an, a moment where we, a bunch of people, including myself, we got upset because of the missionaries that we decided to let go and the ones that we decided to choose to support. The correct way of baptizing someone, the kind of communion that is served, the haze or the fog that's on stage is too thick or the lights had too much motion. Uh, and of course, the conflict uh, a lot of times over certain theological stances. All those things, and 
I have witnessed inside the walls of church. So what do we do? In the moments of conflict, I think people have many different ways that they handle it. And see if you've ever done any of the following. You vented your frustration with a friend, another person that you knew would understand where you're coming from and support you. To avoid conflict at all costs, you just don't say anything. You just become more and more bitter, okay? You're just like, I'm just not going to say anything. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to become more bitter. I'm going to stew in this. Uh, Maybe you presented the issue in the form of a question on social media, on a platform like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, just to get everybody's input on what's going on. Maybe you sent the person that you had conflict, maybe you sent them an email or a text or an instant message of your issue with them. Maybe you took the matter up with a prayer partner, accountability partner, so that they could help you through it. See, the truth about all these things, though they, you may have had good intentions, they are very unbiblical, and they're actually sinful. So think for a moment, how do you deal with conflict? Just think, when conflict raises its ugly head in your life, how do you deal with it? Maybe you're the person who confronts it head on like a bulldozer. You just tackle it. Maybe you're the person that avoids it at all cost. And even when it is there, you pretend like it's not. Maybe you're the person who runs away from it. You just run away. You move on. You move away from it. Maybe you've even left a church because of it. Well, I'm going to tell you guys, tonight is a great night to take notes. And so if you're at home, uh, grab a notepad Uh, If you're in here, grab something that you can write on, uh, not a chair. But let's uh, just take some notes because I think Jesus gives some amazing instructions on how to deal with conflict, and it's found in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And the very first conflict that ever, ever happened besides God and Satan, but on earth, was a conflict in the Garden of Eden. And the world was still new, and humans were brand new, and right off the bat, we have conflict. And it started with which has pretty much started conflict ever since, selfishness, selfishness. I think most of the time when we think of conflicts that have arisen in life, a lot of times it's due to selfishness. Uh, I know in my part, I have been selfish at times. And what God does in the beginning with a few conflicts is he models what Jesus is eventually going to preach in Matthew 18. And I'll describe it as we go through this, but God models at the very beginning what Jesus would preach in Matthew 18. And this this can be applied in every relationship, but it is especially vital inside the walls of the church. And so if you have your Bibles, turn them to Matthew 18. We're going to start in verse 15, and this is what Jesus says. He says, if another believer sins against you, go, what? Go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, then you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, 
Take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Verse 17 says, If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Basically, you would excommunicate them from the church. Sounds pretty severe, right? We're going to boot you out of church. Why is this so important? Why is dealing with conflict so important? Why is this whole thing even need to be addressed? And it's because in John chapter 17, Jesus basically says that they are going to know me and they're going to know my father because of the unity that we have. That the church body would be so unified that it's actually going to draw people closer to the understanding of who Jesus is and who his Father is. And so unity is incredibly important. And so if the main mission of the church is to reach out to the lost world for Jesus Christ, and our unity as a body of believers is one of the primary ways in which we do it, then it is incredibly important. Not only how we treat one another is it important, but how we deal with conflict as well. The children are building a house out back, so don't worry about that. They're having a great time. So the more you hear them hammering, the more awesome it is. So they're doing great. And so think about that. Because a lot of times I don't think about our unity having any kind of issue with how Jesus is presented, and yet it does. I'm always thinking, man, we can have our conflict. It's going to be okay. But Jesus says, man, I want them to know me, and they're going to know me better because of the unity that you have. And so let me, I'm going to put them up here, just some things that I would like for you to jot down. And this is the first thing that we take away. Take the initiative and go privately. When you have an issue with somebody, you take the initiative. You go, and you go privately to that person. Here's the thing. Conflict does not fix itself on its own. It doesn't. So if you're waiting for it to just go away, you are mistaken. My experience is that eventually the only thing that will go away is the friendship. So if we pretend like it's going to go away, the friendship is usually the one thing that will go away. Jesus says, go, you first. It needs to be a priority for you to go to this person Don't wait. Go take care of it. Now, I'm not much of a car guy. I never have been. I I grew up in a car family. I have a lot of relatives that are car people, but I am not that guy. If you tell me, hey, look at this in my engine, I'm going to be like, I have no idea what the heck I'm looking at. I don't. I take it to Jiffy Lube, and they take care of it for me. I take it to the mechanic where he lies to me, I'm sure, and then I give him a whole bunch of money. This is the way it is. Here's what I do know about cars. They have these amazing lights that'll pop on. You know, change your oil, do this, and do that. And I'm like, okay, I guess we need to address some things. We need to take care of those things. This is important if the light comes on. Maybe you're the person that ignores it. I heard about a guy that wanted to go 100,000 miles in his car without an oil change, and so he did it. And they asked, what happened? Well, what would happen if we ignore it for a long time? Your car is going to explode. Maybe it's just the engine. 
But either one, whether it's the car or just the engine, it's going to be very costly when you don't address the issue. When there's something wrong, we need to take care of it. And if you don't address it quickly, the damage can continue to build to a place that makes it very almost impossible to salvage. So why does Jesus say, go privately? He says, go alone, go one-on-one. Because one-on-one prevents what I would consider one of the most dangerous things that ever happens inside the walls of the church. And if you've ever wondered, I wonder what the most dangerous thing that happens inside the walls of the church is. I'm going to tell you, it is gossip. In all my years of ministry, one of the most damaging things that I've seen inside the church is gossip. Gossip is a small flame of the tongue that quickly burns the place down. And so if done properly, and you go to somebody, no one else is going to know why you're going to that person to meet. So if, the other per, if other people know, then you shared your conflict with somebody else. You were venting to someone else before you addressed it with the person that you had the conflict with. And that is gossip. And it's dangerous. It's not biblical. It's not ethical. We are to talk to each other, not about each other. And so we go to the person that we have the issue with, not the person that agrees with you. And so we make our conversations. And this is the other interesting thing, and I was thinking about this this week, because a lot of times, and I am so guilty of this, we'll have conversations in our home. And when you make conversations in your home that are not uplifting towards another person or a family, you're teaching your children that it is okay to not love one another in Christ. And another reason we go privately is so that the other person is less defensive, so that they don't feel like they're being attacked. We go one-on-one. We sit down together, and in a loving way, I share with you my grievance or something that is in conflict That's a much better thing. They don't feel like they're being teamed up or attacked. And so take the initiative and go privately. Don't wait. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, it says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, if you've come in to worship inside the church and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, catch what it says. It says, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Do you catch that? It's almost like it's saying reconciliation is just as important or more important than worship. Let me say it a different way because I don't like the way that sounds. How can you truly worship God the Father if you are at odds with somebody else? We find true worship when we're treating each other well. We're going to love God and we're going to love other people. 
It's what he wants us to do. And so you have a problem, you have an issue. And I know people, they have had shouting matches on the way to church. And then they walk in the church. You try to worship. God would say, man, you figure it out in the car. Then you come in to worship. You need to figure that out. Deal with your conflict. Then come in. So stop what you're doing. Go and make things right with that person. Then you can come back and you can offer your gift of worship to God. We need to have harmony horizontally so we can have harmony vertically. And when both are good, then we find worship. The other thing is this. Have an honest conversation. Have an honest conversation. You need to be clear and honest about the issue at hand. A lot of people, they like to dance around the issue, all right? So you're together, and you don't really want to be very honest because it may be a little bit much, and you're like, man, I'm just going to dance around this thing and pretend like everything is good. The Bible clearly tells us, it says, tell them their offense. Tell them their offense. Don't be vague. Don't be nonchalant about the issue at hand. Don't leave the meeting without laying everything out on the table and sharing what your issue is. Because if they don't know, they don't know, then they won't know how to fix it. Catch that. If we do not tell them, then they don't know that anything's wrong. I had a family that left the church that I was at at the time. I was a youth pastor. And on their way out the door, they told one of our elders, the reason that they were leaving is because Jeff ignored our daughter. That's what they said. And they were mad. And so they, they shared that with me. And I thought, man, I didn't know that. I wish they had come and told me that. Because if they had told me that, I could have tried to fix it. I would have tried to, you know, in a Christ-honoring way, fix or remedy the situation. But if we don't bring it to their attention, they will never know, and they'll never have an opportunity to, A, explain themselves, or B, if needed, to ask for forgiveness and to repent. And so when you bring it to their attention, make sure you approach them Let them know what's going on. And I would say this, do it gently and with humility. Galatians 6.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. You not only need to be gentle, but you need to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. And in John 1.14, it says that Jesus came full of both truth and love. And that's what he wants from us. And if there's one thing, man, I could just encourage inside the body of Christ, it would be this right here to approach people honestly, but wrap it in gentleness, humility, and love. And ask yourself this, how would you want somebody else to approach you? 
How would you want somebody to approach you if they had a grievance against you? Would you want to be belittled and yelled at? Or would you want to be approached with a lot of clarity, but done with gentleness and love? And so oftentimes, when you do this, and this is almost always the case, when you do sit down and you start sharing and talking, you know what you find out? Oftentimes, it was misunderstanding. I had no idea that that's what you meant. If I'd have known that, I wouldn't have been, you know, storing up all this bitterness for the last four days. A lot of times, it's just a misunderstanding. But that's why we talk it out. That's why we're open. I would also encourage you to believe the best in people. Believe the best about people. Oftentimes, when there is conflict, what will happen is we don't immediately go to resolve it and see if this seems familiar to you, or maybe it's just me, you stew. You sit and stew. And when you stew, you start assuming the worst about not only the person, but about almost everything that they do. I have been so guilty of this in the past, where I've been so upset and so angry, but I don't go to that person. And so I just sit and I stew in it. And I just carry all this bitterness. But then I will assume that almost every single thing that that person does is bad, is the negative. I assume the worst about that person and pretty much everything they do. And we do this, you know? So if I see that person, they give this other person who's in need $1,000, I'll be like, well, wonder why they did that. wonder why they gave them the $1,000. Surely they're up to something, right? When they post something, we are ultra-critical, of the things that they say, even to people we do not know. In fact, watch this right now because it's going on all around you. We have half the country that doesn't like the president. We have the other half of the country that likes the president. But no matter who the president is, if it's not your guy, don't we usually tend to assume the worst about the person? It happens. And it's not right to treat them like the enemy. Don't commit the sin of assumption where you assume the worst about people, especially in the church where unity is so important. And learn how to say, I'm sorry. Learn how to say, I'm sorry. It's amazing how powerful and important this is and yet how bad we oftentimes are at it not always easy to say, I'm sorry, but it's incredibly important. And when you say, I'm sorry, you're acknowledging, man, we could do better. We can do better. Even if it is not your intentions to be hurtful towards someone, if they perceive it as hurt, then we need to try to do better. But saying, I'm sorry, can be a monumental moment in the conversation. And you forgive them. You forgive them. When you forgive them, you no longer will hold it against them. You're no longer going to hold it against them. You let it go. And it's what God did for you, and it's what God did for me. And he specifically tells us in his word that we must offer forgiveness to others. 
Luke 17.3 says, if another believer sins, y'all are like, man, I didn't know there was so much scripture on conflict and sin in the Bible and confronting it. But Luke 17.3, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, what's that word? Forgive. Forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, what's that say? You must forgive. You must. And not just forgive them, but to actually comfort them in the entire process. Well, that's going a little far, isn't it? Hard enough that I got to forgive you, but now I've got to try to comfort you in the process. 2 Corinthians 2.7 says, Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. And so I urge you now to reaffirm your love for And so if we meet with them one-on-one and you share the sin or the grievance and they refuse to acknowledge it, verse 16 will tell us that you take one or two others with you and you go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Now, here's the interesting thing. Most of the time, you don't have to do this. Because if you go one-on-one and you meet privately, a lot of times... It'll get fixed. But if it doesn't, Scripture says, Jesus says, hey, you need to grab two or three people and you need to go and do this again. If your one-on-one doesn't work, take somebody with you. Who do I take? Well, it doesn't say. And there's no indication that this means it has to be a pastor or an elder or even a church leader. What is logical, though, and I read this from Mark Moore, what is logical is that the person who you bring with you is mature and spiritual and impartial. That they're spiritually mature and they're impartial, which means they're not going there to fight for you. They can just be a third party. And when you meet with them, with one or two people, you go through the same process that you did privately. You're going to have an honest conversation. You're going to do it in truth and grace. You still believe the best about them. You're going to assume the very best in them, and you'll still need to be ready to offer forgiveness. And if this doesn't work, which I'll be honest, in all my years of ministry, this is so rare, but verse 17 says that you take your case to the church and the leaders of the church will address it. And if the person doesn't accept the counsel of the church leadership, then and only then, they are excommunicated from the church. But I'll tell you, most of the time, they don't stick around that long. Most of the time, people will leave the church before that happens. And it's not what we want, but sometimes it is what is done. And so first one-on-one, second, with another person, third, before the church. And what is not listed in all the things that we talked about with confronting somebody with conflict, what is not mentioned is 
Send them a text message. Make a phone call. Send an email. Send a Facebook message. It is in person. And if it can't be in person, then I guess the very next thing would be a phone call. But it should be as one-on-one as possible. But the reason the one-on-one is so important is because then they can look into your eyes. They can see your facial expressions. They can hear the tone in your voice. And those things are so important. I think all of us know how quickly we can lose perspective on tone and what they're trying to say in a text message or an email conversation. See, I believe this is why we have coffee. Coffee is one of the greatest gifts And one of the reasons is that you can sit around a little round table like that over there and you can say, hey, I'm sorry. Or you can say, hey, you said something and it bothered me. And we can work that out. And here's the really cool thing. Their response is not your responsibility. Their response is is not your responsibility. Our job is to handle conflict and sin the way that God asks us to deal with conflict and sin. Go back to the Garden of Eden, right? When Adam and Eve took of the fruit, what did God do? He didn't wait. He went to them, and he had a conversation with them. It was very clear, and he wrapped it in love. But he went to them and had an honest conversation with them. When Cain killed his brother Abel... God immediately went to him and had a very honest conversation with him. Our job is to handle conflict biblically, but the response is on them, not you. And I think this is amazing. And I've learned this over the last few years. It's like, man, just go to the person. Deal with it the way that God wants to deal with it. You'll know it when you go to somebody and you start talking to them about a conflict with somebody else, you'll know that they know Matthew 18 when they say, what are you talking to me for? Go talk to them. Every time I try to talk to Andrew about somebody else, he yells at me and says, what are you telling me for? Go talk to them. Okay. Here's what I think we could do, church. I think we could do a little bit better job at loving one another in our family. Let's do a little bit better job at loving one another in the church. This should be a place where the love of Christ is evident by the love that we show for one another. And so I would encourage you to do these things. Can't make you do it, but I would encourage you to do these things. Invite families into your home and break bread with them. And you may say, well, you know what? I don't, we don't really have anything in common with those people. I would say you have the kingdom in common. And those are Freudian slip, in common. You have salvation in common with these people. And the other things that we always talk about, we're like, well, we, we, we need to have these things in common. We need have this, you know, whatever it is, all those things are going to pass away. Those are earthly things. Two of Sarah and I's closest friends, 
in Woodland Park. Uh, we've been friends with them for, for goodness, now 10 years. Uh, we don't have anything in common when it comes to the world. Um, they are into anime, we are not. They are into video games, and we are not. Uh, they dress the way they dress, and we dress the way we dress. And we love these people. They're probably maybe even watching online right now. There is so much of this world that we do not have in common with them, and yet what we do have in common is the most important thing, and that's our love for Jesus Christ. And we love hanging out with them. See, the body has so many different parts, and they're all different, but each part is vital to the life and the body functioning the way it does. And each of us get a role in that. And it's hard. And you may be saying, man, that sounds hard. It is. Most things are, right? Here's what will help. I'm going to close with reading one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I read this at almost every single wedding that I do, that I officiate. But I want you to just catch the language that Paul uses in Philippians 2. Here's how he says. He says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. And don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Maybe you need to write that down and put it somewhere in your home where you're going to see it. I need to see that. So many amazing things in that simple passage. Live that out. And so I want to close with this. For believers, I believe that there's a lot of us, we need to repent. We need to repent of some of the things that we've said, some of the things that we've done, some of the ways that we've tried to deal with conflict. Some of us need to find that person this week and have that conversation. And if we can sit down with them, we need to sit down with them. If you need to make a phone call, you make a phone call. We need to get together with people that we have hurt. And some of us need to say, I'm sorry. Because you know that you have done something or said something that has caused another person some pain. And here's the coolest part about it. When you do this, it is so freeing. And it is so beautiful. And don't underestimate the mending that God can do when two believers sit down together and have conversation with coffee, of course. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Pray that we will learn from you. And Matthew 18 is one of those that we should probably preach every year on just how how to deal with conflict because we're a family 
And as awesome as family is, oftentimes there is conflict in it. We say things that we don't mean. We have an attitude sometimes that is poor towards others. And so I pray, Father God, that we'll be the family that loves one another, that we'll think the best of others, that we'll have meaningful conversations, honest conversations, that we'll say, I'm sorry, that we'll... (coughs) that will offer forgiveness. So we pray this in your name.